Well, as we begin today, I have a not so deeply theological question to ask you uh, to start. How many of you grew up playing with Legos at one time or another? Any Lego users? It looks like almost all of us, almost all of us. There's not too many kids in America who didn't play with Legos at one time or another. And uh, one of the things I'm finding out is there's a lot of adults that still play with Legos. And uh, that's, hey, that's totally cool. Whatever you want to do on your time, this is a no judgment zone when it comes to uh, love of Legos. But when you are one or two years old and uh, you get one of those kits from mom or dad or grandma or grandpa that are all about Legos, um, as you see an example here, the, the sets are pretty simple. In fact, you probably don't need a picture, and I don't think they probably come with too many instructions. It's pretty obvious how all the blocks go together when you're one or two years old. But as you get older, as you get into your teenage years and into your adult years, and they have Lego kits put together just for you, the pieces get a lot smaller, and the sets, the kits, they get a lot more complicated. Here is a picture of some of the more popular ones. You've got the Roman Colosseum. Um, I don't know what this is. Uh, just, just kidding. It's Millennium Falcon. Um, here we got the castle in the Harry Potter, Hogwarts Castle. And they get infinitely more complicated. And there's this, this need to, to have directions. In fact, think about this for a moment. What if I just took, because each of these have in it a bag filled with all of these pieces. If I just took out a random bag out of a random box, I just opened it up, threw it out in front of you, and said, okay, figure out what this is supposed to be and build it the way it's supposed to be. Like, there's no way. There's no way. You, you might be able to make a round structure that kind of looks like the guts of a Roman Colosseum. You might be able to make some sort of an airplane or maybe a tower sort of mimicking a castle. But to use every single piece the way they were designed to you be used and to have it come out looking like this without directions or without a picture, I would say you have about a 0% chance of doing that. <laughs> In fact, uh, let's say it this way. It's much better when you're building something to have a plan and a picture. What's true with Legos is also true with life. I want you to think about it this way. Think about your life as if God has given you all these Lego pieces. And they represent your time, your experiences, the unique gifts that you have, your financial resources, the place that you live. And there's probably a ton more that you can think about. And as you think about all of those pieces that God has given to you, the, the, the question that we think about is, how do we put those together? And, and, well, what am I building with my life? In fact, this can be a very stressful question, can it? When you're in your 20s, as you're transitioning out of high school into college, or do I go to college, or what do I do for my career, can be very, very stressful time 
to think about, what am I going to build? Now, if you're 40 or 50 or 30, there's a chance that some of you still struggle with that question here and there. Adults can struggle with that question too. I think we all do at one time or another as we really focus and concentrate on this question, what should I be building with all these Lego blocks that I've been given? What should I be building with my life? Now today in our message, I'm not gonna give you career advice. We're not gonna come away from this necessarily with uh, information on which college I should enroll in or should I go to college at all? And yet, and yet God is going to be directing us really closely in a much bigger way than what college I should go to or what career should I have. In fact, in a very helpful way, he changes this question to what I believe is a more foundational one and in many ways, a more important one Not that this question goes away altogether. We still are still just fine asking it. But here's what I think is a better question to start with. Not what I should be building, but what is God building? What is God building with my life? And he's given me Lego pieces, but guess what we're gonna discover? That in many ways, each of the people I see in this room, we are his Lego pieces, And he has an amazing plan for us. Sometimes we just need to pause and look at the picture. And what is he doing? It leads to our first fill-in for today. It's kind of a factual statement of the question I just mentioned. I'm not building something. God is. Ultimately, it's not me building something, but instead, what I want you to take away from today is that God is. Now, we're gonna be today for our our message is in that same letter that we looked at last week. It was a letter written by Peter, one of the 12 disciples, to the Christian church in the first century. And he was writing to a bunch of Christians all over the Roman Empire. And his main purpose in writing was to encourage to encourage these Christians who were going through immense persecution. We we talked about this last week, but um, not only were Christians in the first century being persecuted, but being a Christian, calling Jesus your savior, your Lord, your God was actually outlawed in the Roman empire. And so not only were Christians being persecuted, they were being killed by the thousands And so do you think they needed encouragement? I think we need encouragement as well, don't we? No matter what season or era of life people live in, those who follow Jesus need encouragement to to stay the course. And one of the titles that Peter gave over and over again to Christians in this world, we looked at last week. Do you remember what it was? It was the word, I want you to think of yourself as an exile, as exiles, people who aren't from a certain place, but they're there now and 
they need to live there. We did a deep dive on this last week, and you can go back to the message last week and, and listen to that. But just in a real quick way, what he means is that because of what Jesus did on the cross, that my citizenship is not of this world. My primary citizenship is not as an American. That if you believe in Jesus as your savior, your citizenship is in heaven. And that is our home. So what does that mean for us now? Two things. On the one side, it means it doesn't mean that we should be separatists. It doesn't mean that as Christians, we should just sort of, you know, not engage with the outside world and to sort of set up our own little fiefdom or commune. That, that's not what we should be doing. We should engage with the world and the people around us. But on the flip side, we're going to look different. That Christians in this world as exiles, we should look different. In fact, I would say that if the people you know at work or school or in your neighborhood, if they have no idea and cannot tell that you follow Jesus, there's probably something not right about that. Because as exiles in this world, the way we talk and the things we say or the things that we don't say or the things we participate in or the things we don't participate in, they're going to be different. And in this series, we're bringing different to not be a bad thing, but to be an absolutely great thing. So Peter writes to these groups of exiles where their heaven is their home, but they're living in this world about what he's doing that is God and how we can be a part of an amazing building plan that he's doing. Let's go to chapter two, verse four. It starts this way. As you come to him, the living stone, that would be Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. So we're going to get more into the building part of this in the next verse. So you just have to trust me for now. But the living stone aspect, in context, he, he's talking about Jesus being a foundation, the, the foundation of our lives and the foundation of this, this thing, this building plan that we're going to be all about here on earth. And, and then he continues, says, rejected by humans. Oh, go back to the next slide, my, my bad. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God. See, Jesus, he wasn't accepted by most, was he? Christians often, the things they're about look a little bit different. Jesus can empathize with that. You see, the, the world has certain ideas of what greatness looks like. The world has certain ideas of what a great life-building plan looks like. If you're great, here's what power looks like. If you're great, here's what success looks like. If you're great, 
Here's what accomplishments in your portfolio look like. But then you have Jesus. And I think one of the best ways to describe how he was different and why it says that he wasn't accepted by humans is to look at what Paul wrote about him. He wrote in his letter to the Philippians, he wrote, Jesus, who being in very nature God, and it can't get any greater, more powerful, or perfect than that, did not consider equality with God, which he had, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, when he came to earth, when he became a human being, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus turned what greatness looks like totally upside down. And that's because he understood what Peter is trying to get the Christians to understand, that there is a greater picture, there is a bigger picture. Yes, for now, this is all we see. But someday, whenever that day is, we're going to see that this life on this earth is just a little blip on the radar. And so Jesus came in his humility to win something so much greater for us. See, one of the the questions that we often ask, and it's an understandable question, when we decide what we wanna do with our lives or what we wanna do with our careers, is the question, what's in it for me? And I ask that question too. You have to, in a way, think about how this is gonna affect me. And yet when Jesus came to earth, that wasn't the question he asked at all. Because as he took on human flesh, as he suffered on the cross, he wasn't thinking at all what's in it for me. You know what he was thinking? He was thinking what's, what's in it for you. Not what I'm gonna get out of suffering hell, but instead, what are you going to get? What am I going to receive? And when the world saw the humility of Jesus, the living stone, they didn't get it. It's not how we normally act. It's not the type of building that comes naturally. Let's go back to 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, who was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Here we go. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. So we've got the foundation of Christ, the living stone. And what he's saying is, You Christians in the first century, you Christians in the 21st century, now because of Jesus, we're being built together to create something, 
to make something. It's his church because as you've heard us say often, the church is not a building. I'm looking at the church. The church is online listening. You are the church and God has put you together for a reason. What a blessing it is to be able to receive that mutual encouragement, not only of the, the presence shoulder to shoulder, six feet apart, shoulder to shoulder uh, here at church, but being able to, to do ministry together, to be in growth groups together. What an amazing blessing it is to come together as a church. And here's what I want you to know that our next fill-in, that you are an important part of God's building plan. If we don't recognize we're a part of something bigger that's God's building, we decide, you know what? I'm not gonna be a living stone in that structure. If you just start pulling stones out of any building, or bricks out of a building at a certain point, or how about this, blocks out of the Jenga tower, what's gonna to eventually happen? It's going to topple. It's gonna to fall over. We have an amazing opportunity to be a part of something. A building plan that is absolutely amazing. And if at times you're feeling like your life doesn't have a lot of purpose or you're in a season where it's just like trying to find yourself, I get it. We've all been there, but I want you to think different because God is calling us to be, next slide, God is calling us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. God is calling you to be a part of something that he's doing, and that should bring a great amount of significance to our hearts, a great amount of purpose to our lives because God could have decided to, to, to do his work on earth however he wanted and yet he chose for us to be a part of it. And I could just imagine these first century Christians whom Peter's writing to as they're basically on a daily basis wondering what's gonna to happen to them, whether they're even going to live. They're feeling like they have no power, no influence. It's against the law to be a Christian as we talked about at that time, thinking, me? What am I gonna do? What can I truly influence? What, what sort of impact can I have? I'm nothing. And maybe sometimes you feel that way. Do you know that over history, God has often done his greatest work through people who thought they didn't have what it takes? I wanna run down some examples for you. So a couple thousand years before Jesus was born, God needed to find someone to continue the line of the Savior. And uh, he decided to choose a lady named Sarah, who, if you recall, was 89 years old and barren until she wasn't and had a baby at 90. God used her. And then some years later, God's people are going through a famine in Israel and they need a place to sort of, well, survive. And God calls a man named Joseph, 
who happened to be a prisoner in an Egyptian prison. And in one day, Joseph goes from being a prisoner to the second most powerful person in the entire, well, really world at the time. And God uses Joseph to bring food to Israel. And then hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, it's time for the Israelites to leave Egypt. And someone needs to tell Pharaoh that. You know who God chooses? Well, a guy named Moses, who couldn't speak very well, had a problem maybe with stuttering or something like that. God says, no, Moses, you're the guy. And he goes to the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and God uses him so that Pharaoh would let God's people go. And then when God was looking for his greatest earthly king, he goes to the home of a man named Jesse. Says, hey, one of your sons is going to be the king. And he goes, the prophet goes through all of them. No, 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 no. Until... They come to the youngest son, David, whom Jesse himself thought, there's no way it's David. He's out watching sheep. He wasn't even at the house at the time because it couldn't be him. And God said, nope, that's, that's the one. I'm going to do great things through him. And then it was time for Jesus to be born. How would that happen? <laughs> he, um, he picks a poor teenage girl named Mary, who happened to also be a virgin from a town that was known for nothing, says that that's the girl. Not because she's great, but because I can do great things through her. And it it just continues. Uh, God wants to have his church spread. And he picks a guy named Paul, Paul was known for a while as being the worst murderer of Christians in the world. And God says, no, that's the guy. I don't know why personally, but that's the guy I'm going to use. And he's going to be the greatest missionary and church planter in the world. And even the guy who's writing this letter, Peter, a hothead who abandoned Jesus at his time of greatest need. And yeah, you know, Peter, you're going to be one of the leaders of my early church. I could keep going on, but another name I could put on here is you, is me. Don't tell me you don't have what it takes to be a part of God's building plan. God can and will do wonderful things through us. In fact, that's how he so often works. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians. He wrote, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Because it's not about us. It's about him and about his glory. And I want you to know that God can use you and God will use you. He doesn't need us. 
It's not like God's in heaven. Oh, I hope Ben becomes a pastor because without him, the whole church on earth is going to collapse. No, it's not. He, he has, he can and will carry out his will. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you, but he invites you to be a part of something great, something different, a different calling. It's just sometimes, sometimes we just need to remember what picture is on the box. What are we trying to build? What's God building? You know what normal is? Normal is asking the question, what do I want to build with my 80 years if God gives me strength? A certain portfolio, certain career, certain retirement, a certain image, certain lifestyle. And I'm gonna say none of those things are wrong to think about. In fact, God says that if we don't think about the future, we're being short-sighted, that we should plan, we should think about those things. So they're not entirely wrong. But how about this, our third fill-in? What if I said it this way? Here's different. Different is spending less time working on what I want to build and more time working on what God is building. It's not getting rid of your aspirations and your retirement. And it, No, it's not that. It's just, it's balance. It's what am I thinking about most? What, oh, what I want on the box and what I'm trying to build or instead, is it different? It's like, I'm a, I'm a living stone built on the living stone. And what is God building? And what could he build? And what does he want to build? And how do I fit into that? And then in verse nine and 10, Peter gets really specific. But before he gets to the do, he starts with the who. Because what we want to do or what we're motivated to do is a direct result of who we are and how we view ourselves. And so Peter lines up about four different descriptions of God's people right in a row to make a point. Verse nine, this is a pretty uh, well-known verse. He says, but you are a chosen people. Do you think the first century Christians were thinking that way? Like we're chosen, chosen for what? Persecution? I mean, I don't feel chosen, but through Christ they were. A royal priesthood. Before Jesus, the only way to have access to God was through a priest. Because of Jesus, He's saying, you first century Christians, you and me today, we have direct access to God. We don't need priests anymore because Jesus is our go-between. You are a holy nation. We're united. Every Christian who's ever lived, united by the cross in a very special way, his special possession, God thinks of you as being special. And then there's these three little words that come afterwards because Peter wasn't done. He says, you are all these things, and then he continues, that you may. And for many of us, it's like, okay, I'm all these things, um, that I may, 
um, go to heaven someday. But that's not what Peter wrote. Or maybe we're thinking, I'm all these things. Jesus had made me this. He's died for me so that you may live at peace in your life, knowing that you're good with God because your sins are forgiven. And that is a blessing. That's not what Peter writes. I know what it is. It's that you may go to church on the weekend. That's what I need to do. That's the be all and end all of, you know, my life as a Christian. That's my response. It's part of it. That's not what Peter writes. He's calling you. God is. It's like, I, I want you to hear a different call. It says, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It says, you may go out and declare the praises of God. And if you keep reading in chapter two, you'll notice that one of the ways that he um, mentions this and gets really specific is that God's people can be all about love, asking the question, how do I love the people around me, even the people I don't agree with, even the people that I would consider my enemies? What does it look like to love those people? That's a good question to ask. But at the end of the day, this declaring of praise, it's what God has called us to do. And at uh, North Cross, it's really our mission statement. It's printed every week, if you're in person, on the backside of the service folder. And I don't know if you know this, but it was designed not just as the mission statement of this church, but it's designed as your individual mission statement individually and together. Number four, we are here to lead people to Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're on the planet and we can enjoy vacation and we can work on our houses and we can put together a retirement plan and we can have some fun and we can go to soccer games and lacrosse games and basketball games and football. We can do all that stuff, right? But we are here to lead people to Jesus. And I think this is really clarifying for us right now. And this is why. We live at a time when it can be very easy to be consumed with a whole bunch of different things that are going on in our world and in our country. I bet that if you took the collective blood pressure of the citizens of our country, it's gone up in the last year, probably over the last 10 years, slowly, slowly and more and more. And what I'm seeing sometimes in my own heart and also in other people, that, that, that Christians are concerned, it seems at times, more about what's going on in this country than what's going on in people's hearts. It seems like people are more revved up about 
the messages that they hear in our country, then the message that we have to share that changes lives and changes hearts. And we shouldn't stick our heads in the sand. We should be active participants in our country and in our government. But God has called us to lead people to him not to have the perfect earthly country because that does not exist. I want you to think about this. Think about the people Peter was writing to. They were living in the midst of one of the worst governments ever for being a Christian. And yet, what does Peter write? You are these things so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Make no mistake, living stones, you are here to lead people to Jesus. And so here's your thinking on it application question. Simply, what's one thing you can do this week to be more intentional about leading people to Jesus? Some of you, are doing a great job at this already. All of us can consider, how can I do better? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a time on your schedule. Maybe it's just a slight attitude change when you're around a certain person. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I think it's worth us asking the question. You know what? That's different. And that's the type of different this world needs right now and always. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you have allowed us to be a part of something that is way bigger than ourselves. And Lord, it's in humility that we recognize that we are, are part of something that you're building. By grace, you first made us a part of it and now you are allowing us to help it grow through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I would just ask that you would put it on every single one of our hearts today. What does it look like to be different right now? What does it look like when it comes to the things that we're passionate about? What does it look like with the things that we, we spend our time on? What does it look like in the way that we live each day? Because you have given us a great opportunity to be a part of what you are doing eternally. We pray for your blessing, not only on this church at large as we lead people to Jesus, but on all of us as little stones that are a part of it. Pray this in Jesus' name.